Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Fascinating Nouns. We are the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now here at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, the bizarre, the intriguing, the interesting, the invigorated, the weird, the wild, the wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel. Jay, Glenn. I'm going to give myself a quick plug here, just in case you want to follow the show. Additionally, got a website, DanielJGlenn.com. Got a Twitter account, at DanielJGlenn. I think I see a pattern here. I'm going to break the pattern right now. On Facebook, you can like Fascinating Nouns. And that will give you all kinds of updates, things that you didn't know were possible with the show. Extra video footage. Pictures. Additional interviews, extended interviews, all kinds of stuff, and even upcoming shows, books, whatever, by former guests, because when you're here, you're family. So if you like someone that you hear on the show, check back. There may be updates. Who knows? It's a crazy world that we live in, which is exactly why I'm chronicling it. So on to the show. Now, I think I'm going to go off script when it comes to the intro to this guy. I'm talking about CDO. Chris Dane Owens. Now, I've been trying to get this guy for a while, personal friend of mine. Now, you might remember him if you were alive in 2009 for having the viral hit Shine On Me, which was a self-financed music video. Now, this is important because it was a fantasy video. Those are the hardest to produce. And what it did is it created two people. Well, not two people. He didn't make a baby. But two types of people. People who loved the video people who love to hate on the video. Two very distinct groups, but somehow they came together and he created a force to be reckoned with in the music world. But there's more to that story. There's more to the man. He's a television producer. He's the son of famous Laugh-In cast member Gary Owens. And I get to sit with him for an hour. How exciting is that? So here he is, CDO Chris Dane Owens. Thanks for being on the show, man. Daniel, so good to be here. Thanks for having me, my friend. Well, you know... You kind of pass muster on the show because, like all the other guests, there's a lot of things that kind of make you fascinating. And I think most people listening to this will know you from your music work, which, um, you know, while I researched a, a little bit about the topic, you were kind of a viral hit that um, it was kind of an interesting phenomenon. We're going to get to that in a second because um, I think it, I'm afraid of getting hyper-focused on that because that's the thing that I kind of, like, glommed onto <laughs> was, like, what makes a viral hit, you know, do people like it or hate it? Do they, you know, what, what is the anatomy of a viral hit? We're going to talk about that. I'm going to tease that. Sure, right now. sure. Um, but you also had kind of an interesting early life in that you grew up in kind of the Hollywood lifestyle. Like you, your dad was famous, Gary Owens from Laugh-In, Midnight Cowboy. Um, lots Actually, not, of voiceover not Midnight work. Cowboy, no. Just Ronan Martin's Laugh-In, The Gong Show, lots of voiceover stuff. And, you know, Ren and Stimpy and Space Ghost, he played Powder Toast Man on that. So lo- lots of voiceover work and uh, quite a bit of on-camera. But there is a Chris Owen or Gary Owens, and it's a different guy on Midnight Cowboy. Is that true? Yeah. Well, hold on a second, sir. No, but there is a Gary Owens, but is it's there? just not that that one, I think. Well, uh, we need to contact IMDb. Yeah, Anyone listening who works at IMDb, yeah. that is BS. And quit, <laughs> 
besmirching the good name of the Owens family. Um, but Laugh-In is, uh, that was, when I, from what I was told, that was like the Saturday Night Live of its it, day. It was, indeed. It was really innovative um, from a, just from an editing standpoint and sketch comedy standpoint. Nothing had come out quite like it before. And it was very subversive in a way because it was free love at that time. It was the 60s. It was, you know, there was pot humor. There was um, equal rights. It was, they got in so many things past the censors that I think the censors didn't even know what, what hit them half the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, is the, I'm not sure I understand that joke. We'll, we'll just let it go on the air. Yeah, a bunch of squares running the switchboard. Right. Yeah. Um, so what was it like growing up in a, kind of a famous family? You know, it was really cool, I have to say, growing up in Hollywood, um, especially back then when there was only three television networks, mm. literally. And so if you had a number one rated show, which Laugh-In was, you were everywhere. It was like being one of the cast members of Seinfeld almost, or as you say, Saturday Night Live in the height of it. So both my brother and I, I think we kind of felt that glow, if you will, growing up of being you know, part of something kind of interesting, something a little bit special to a lot of people. Um, you know, Hollywood is a, kind of a magical place to folks outside of Los Angeles especially. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was kind of privileged in that regard. Yeah. So were, did a lot of doors open for you? Were you did you have a lot of were you exposed to a lot early? And was it kind of like being a child star in a way? Uh, I wouldn't say that, but it was. Um, you know, a lot of my friends and the people I went to school with, they all were. Their parents were in the industry. I mean, I went to school with Paul Newman's daughter and Barbara Streisand's children. You know, so it was one of those things that they became your peers in a way. So there yeah. was a relatability. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, but my brother and I really tried to live like the most normal life possible. I mean, I used to, I guess this would be on the side of the Hollywood. I used to wash like the Jacksons cars, um, like the Tito's way, Porsche <laughs> and stuff because they lived down the street. Really? Yeah. Like for extra dough? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Because I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a job. And so it was like, <laughs> I was, you know, 13 and I would go around washing cars and in the neighborhood and we had cool cars in the neighborhood. So yeah, I yeah it was so. like his Turbo Carrera and Jackie. And I used to see Michael all the time because it was, in, I grew up in Encino. Yeah. It was, it was fun. That, that was pretty cool. And I grew up right next to the Santa Monica mountain range. So it felt like a Huck Finn kind of life, truthfully, where I, there was miles of just hills and trees and nature. And so my friends and I would go out and build tree forts and ride motorcycles and the whole thing. So it was really special to live in a big city, but yet have that country feel almost. Yeah. Well, there's kind of like a weird dichotomy there because you have Huck, Huck Finn and Michael Jackson are two guys I've ever used, heard in the same <laughs> sentence before. You know what I mean? Um, but I can, I guess I can see that because when you get on the outskirts of L.A., and this is this is very inside, um, it is the wilderness in a way. You know, there's the, it's surrounded by mountain ranges. You know, it's called the valley for a reason. There's two big mountain ranges in between. And you know, there, but but in that are people living at the height of pop culture. Like the the American culture is defined by Hollywood, right. you know, and you're in the middle of that. So it's like the two extremes, you know, which is an interesting place to grow up in. Yeah, it's fascinating. And a lot of people, I mean, I grew up in Encino, but it's an area called Lake Encino, and there's a huge lake there. It's a natural lake, they, which they've kind of walled in, and now it's a reservoir. And then there's miles of mountains. And again, that was my playground as a kid. So I really felt more in touch with nature and exploring and, you know, rattlesnakes and scorpions and all that stuff that little kids love to see and look at. And um, so it was, it was really quite special in that regard. Um, and your brother, he also moved into the entertainment industry. Yeah, well, Scott yeah. has been a pretty successful producer in reality for years. He started on um, America's Most Wanted, and then he um, 
won an Emmy not too long ago for producing Wait, amazing. He, he produced the show or he was on America's Most No, Wanted? he was one of the producers. He's okay. been kind of behind the scenes as a producer. And the FBI wasn't looking for him. That's not what No, no, gosh, no. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, he, we've been, both my brother and I are on the Most Wanted list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he won a Emmy for um, Amazing Race on that. And he did one of the producers on Rock of Love and Next Top Model. So all the really big reality shows he's, uh, yeah. he's kind of had his hand in. Well, I was looking at his resume and he was doing the shows that were popular, like the height of pop culture. For example, he did Charm School, he did um, Flavor of Love, you know, he did Rock of Love and all those. Did he, you may not know the answer to this, but I've got to know. So there is one incident, and anyone who's been a fan of Flavor of Love will know what I'm talking about. There was a season, and I don't know which one it was, I just watched the video actually, where one of the women, while they're doing the toast, takes a dump in the living room <laughs> and like everyone's looking to find it and it's like the craziest thing I've ever seen on a reality show I, was I, he there you I, would have had to have heard about I this. don't know anything about that Daniel I'm Come so on, sorry Chris, I really don't, don't I really don't really? I don't have a sense of that uh, I can ask him though yeah uh, let's get him on I the phone on I need an answer <laughs> right <laughs> but it was like it was one of these weird moments in reality history that everyone knows about because wow. that was like the height of popularity got you know? it I mean that yeah, I, I just can't, I don't have a sense of that. Now, um, yeah, I, forgive me. He may have mentioned it to me, and it just kind of was like, oh, wow, really? Yeah. Um, I don't <laughs> That should have stuck with you. I, I don't know. I've got a funny memory with things. <laughs> but so he's so he's gone on and kind of done a bunch of these things. He's, I mean, he's, he has, yeah. I mean, I think he's probably most proud of the Amazing Race um, uh, years because. <laughs> over well, over, over the, love, the yeah. crazy Weird. thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's such a big show, um, but really hard work because you've got to deal with all the different time zones with that as a producer. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So um, grueling, but um, I think a really, uh, you know, it's just such a great show, such a well produced program. Yeah. Well, you've done some producing yourself, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I have a television production company, um, Biederman Owens, and my business partner and I, Jerry Biederman, who he came from the book world. He's an eight-time published author, and Hollywood kept coming to him to acquire his books to turn into television shows. And he, he knew that I had done some producing as well, and he said, look, it takes me a year to write a book. Why don't we start a company? Uh, which we did. And we started selling shows pretty fast, actually. It was very rewarding. It was really exciting because you kind of go, I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I've got ideas that Hollywood would be interested in. And, uh, you know, my very first pitch meeting, we, we sold a show and I was like, wow, this is quite, quite cool. And now that shouldn't, that show didn't go to the air, but it got that process going. And we've had some success with shows on the air and lo lots of uh, deals as well in Hollywood. Really? Yeah, that has put us in touch with quite a few different showrunners and networks and so forth. So that's been really rewarding. Probably our most successful show was number one rated on the E! Style Network, which was called um, Instant Beauty Pageant, which was nominated for an Emmy, and that we did three seasons with. And it was really fun. I, we, you know, it's funny because I really like ordinary people. It's funny that growing up in Hollywood, it's all celebrity-driven, but ordinary right. people are fascinating to me. And the experiences they have, the way they react to things. And so this idea of reality being what we do primarily is hopefully uplifting and hopefully a kind of a celebration of the ordinary person. Yeah. Um, do... Uh, so instant beauty pageant, how did that work? Did you? Yeah, we would go to malls literally across the country and ambush five women who were just kind of shopping at the malls with their moms, sisters, what have you, and say, you've been chosen to be on the show. Here's $500. You have three hours to go get a gown, prepare a talent, 
um, and get a swimsuit. And meanwhile, we're building a stage at these malls across the country, wow. and it was a 12-camera show. In other words, we had 12 cameras operating simultaneously, tons of footage to edit down into the cohesive storylines. And, um, and it was really fun, and it was kind of a Cinderella story in a way, but also it was like it didn't take itself too seriously because it's not a pageant in the, on a national level. It's not Miss America and so forth. And I think it fulfilled a lot of women's fantasies. Like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. I wondered if I could do that. And so um, qu- quite fun. And there's certainly meltdowns, as there would be. I don't. Yeah. If somebody said to me, you're going to be in a bathing suit um, <laughs> in three hours and you're going to have to do a talent, I, I don't know what I would do either. Yeah. Did anyone say no? Did any? Um, no, actually, everybody was game. But I will say this: uh, there was the initial like, "Won't that be fun?" And then the reality of like, "Wow, this is pretty scary." Yeah. Um, and you get to watch them go through that. So, so it was very cool. So, if they said no towards the end, would you force them on stage? Like, no, you're going to do it. You took the five hundred bucks. You know, it's interesting. I think we had a couple people in season two that were their swimsuit version of what they wound up coming up with was a little more of like a waist tie and it wasn't a bikini mm. per se which is totally understandable yeah um and then the talent sometimes would be kind of a cop-out talent like oh look i can jump rope um whereas, someone do that yeah, oh yeah totally like We're, double dutch or just straight jump just rope? like here i am jumping rope and uh, you know to a song that's and weak beat. yeah right <laughs> but other talents were magnificent and they really worked hard <laughs> magnificent. at magnificent so, yeah they were it's like wow i didn't know you could sing like that really mm-hmm, yep wow. Wow. Um, so what are the shows that you guys specialize in? What are the, did you guys have like a, oh, we do shows like this? Yeah, or? I would say that as a brand, um, Jerry and I always try to do something uplifting. In other words, you see a lot of what I would call snarky reality television mm-hmm. um, that's kind of mean-spirited and not particularly uplifting. And that's something that we steer away from. And I certainly do spiritually. In other words, that's a, a direction and a momentum in my life that I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. So for me, coming up with ideas that celebrate people, maybe put them in slightly tough situations, but where they have an opportunity to rise and prove themselves or prove something to themselves. Um, That to me is is worth, uh, because it's hard to sell a show, it's worth being involved in, it's worth shooting, it's worth cutting together, and it's worth putting out on the air. So that would easily be our motif is um, uplifting themes. When we get together just to brainstorm show ideas, oftentimes we'll reject 10 just because it's like, I don't think we want to be involved with that kind of show, even though they might sell those kind of ideas. Um, so you said he was um, Biederman's an author. Jerry Biederman's a Jerry Biederman. um, yeah, best-selling author. So where did those? Because these sound like reality shows. Where did his author? You guys, you know, option his books. Do you create? Yeah, like there was a really big show that was done off of one of his books called Secrets of a Small Town, which he oh, right. he literally went into a small town somewhere in America. He's never revealed the identity of the place, and he um, invited strangers to tell them him their secrets, which they did, and it's a, a fascinating book uh, because. People long for that catharsis, I think, in a lot of ways. They've been holding this thing in for years and years, and yeah. it feels anonymous, which it was. And uh, that was a, f- a Fox uh, show that they did. Um, and feels so like a, feels like a Fox show. It does, yeah. yeah. And uh, so for Jerry, he he's always been that guy that celebrated the ordinary person in his writing. And um, and Hollywood kept knocking on his door. Wow. So did, were you involved in the producing of that show? No, or? I wasn't. That was before. That was oh. when he kind of had the realization, wow, why don't we start a company yeah. and, and do this? And how did you meet him? Uh, 
I was singing on stage when I met him first. I was there was a showcase I used to. My vocal coach at the time was a guy named Roger Love, really really talented guy. Is that his real name? Roger Love, yeah, it is. is it? Yeah, he's quite um, quite prominent these days. I think he does a lot of the coaching for the people on The Voice and those kind of shows. And um, anyway, Roger was doing a, a talent showcase of some of his students, and uh, Jerry and Roger were really good friends, and. Um, and I remember I was singing and I was looking at Roger and there was this really nice guy next to him and um, we just became you know fast friends and uh, <clears throat> and it was years later that we decided to form a company. Mm. Um, so and you also when we were doing warm ups, um, you were telling me that you know Whitley Strieber and you did some things for him as well. I mean, yeah, I was a really big fan of Whitley's book Communion, yeah. and uh, which a lot of people were. I think yeah. it was a pretty massive bestseller and. I'm fascinated by that phenomenon in general. Um, and so I met him at one point and uh, we chatted about me producing and directing some of his book trailers and I've actually done four of those. Um, Hybrids, uh, Melody Rising, The Key, and uh, Solving the Communion Enigma. And um, and those were, were really satisfying for me because I, I find his work fascinating. He's a really cool guy um, and uh, his experiences are quite extraordinary. And so, um, so yeah, that's what what I did is uh, produce some trailers for him. So when you say trailers, what exactly do you mean by well, trailers? in the publishing world these days, they produce book trailers. In other words, a trailer specifically designed to target the content of the work of the book to tease it in a way. A video trailer. A video trailer, right? Exactly. It's like a commercial, if you will, for yeah. the books. Yeah, and they I'd never heard of this before. I don't. Think yeah, I've it's seen quite one. prominent in the book world. Like if you were to see even The Mockingjay, for example, uh-huh. um, the you know the. Uh, uh, Hunger Games books, they all have book trailers associated with them, all the big books and, and so forth. So it's quite a phenomenon these days. The publishers always seem to do that with uh, a lot of their prominent authors. Yeah. Uh, that's really... So is this on TV? I mean, this is like... Oh, if you go on like YouTube and you... Um, oh, so like promotional, online promotional material. Yeah, it's online promotional material, a book trailer for um, for his his work. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so you've got a great voice, by the way. Oh, thank, thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Well, so, so did you? Did you? Um, we kind of skipped over your dad because he had. A, I want to get back to him for a second. So yeah. he he was in radio for and, years and years. Yeah. So did you? Did you study his voice? Did you just no, get it? No, I think I got or? the. I think I got the the tones. Um, he was uh, my mom and dad are from South Dakota originally, and um, really? he was doing news. Oh. News was his thing, straight yeah. news. Yeah, you know, read the copy. You know, today on Capitol Hill, yeah. right? That whole thing, and um, they were determined to get to Los Angeles at one point, but they moved quite a few times from South Dakota. And I think one of the first places they moved to was Nebraska. Um, they got an offer on radio for him to do news. And what's really fascinating about this is that the morning DJ, who was pretty high rated, I was so angry with the station, and he walked off the air literally mid-show, and they had no replacement. And they said, kid, Gary, get on the air. And it was, you know, You'll never work again. <laughs> yeah, it was operating six turntables. He never did rock and roll radio. He was news. And so it was like, not only that, but you don't have your, your timing, your rhythm, your vamp, all yeah. of that stuff that you need as a DJ. Sure. And he panicked and was goosing records and was just terrible. Uh, and, but they kept him on the air. They said, you know what, we'll give you another chance. We don't have a replacement for you right now, but so keep going. So he started to 
because he thought this job's not going to last anyway. He started to yeah. bring humor into it. He started to bring his little like Donald Duck records and put play little wild tracks and stuff. Yeah. Within three months, he was number one in that market. <laughs> no kidding. Literally. Well, in, I mean, it is South Dakota. No, this was Omaha. So this is Omaha. a bigger market. <laughs> yeah, but still small, right? Is it? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, bigger bigger than South Dakota, I think. There's yeah. four people in South Dakota. No, yeah, that's cool. Um, so, two he, left. Uh, so then he got an offer to do you know, morning radio as a DJ um, and uh, to, in another station. And so within a within two years, he was uh, number one in San Francisco, then came to Los Angeles and worked wow. with uh, Gene Autry for 21 years at KMPC. No kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The wow. singing cowboy. So he, um, so did you, were you into radio at all or did no, you? No, n- never did that. I was really kind of the rock and roll kid. And so, so how did you get into rock and roll then? Did you? Um, it's funny. I was at a school. And the there were three guys at the school that were doing a show, um, like a school concert, in three weeks. And their bass player moved away. He moved to I forget where it was. Doesn't really matter. But what <laughs> they said is, hey man, you got because I was kind of look like a rock and roll kid. I always had long hair. Yeah. And um, and they said, look, we'll teach you how to play the bass. And so I said to my folks, hey, can I? Would you guys buy me a bass? And they were always really supportive of anything my brother and I wanted to get into. And so I got you know a used Gibson. Uh, bass and a small amp and within I learned the song it was two songs and within three weeks I was up on stage with these guys and I was hooked that was it from that point on I loved rock and roll I loved playing in a band and um, so we we played together we played parties and show you know school functions and so forth yeah so that was really cool and then though for a while I stopped doing music especially when I started you know doing the television stuff and um, I started having dreams that kind of felt like they were pulling me back into music. Like I really missed that part of myself. If I mean, you mean like real dreams when you go to sleep? Yeah, like, like that, you yeah. wake up with songs in your head and, yeah. you know, really kind of riding in a strong emotional wave that feel like, ah, I'm feeling the tug of this in uh-huh. my life. And so um, I said, I think I'm going to do an album. And that's when I did the Bluestone record. And, um, and then when it came time to do a music video for it, because I'm a producer and I love feature films, yeah. I thought, I, I don't want to do just a straight rock and roll video. I'd like it to feel like a movie trailer, something that feels like big, bigger than, uh, like a larger story is being told. And so I did the Shine On Me music video. And as you mentioned, that went viral. That was really cool because that was a number of years ago. And I posted that online. And I think in the first two months, I got like 300 views. And I was like, oh, neat. This is cool. Yeah. You know, because I didn't know what to expect. And then... Uh, G4 had a television show at that time called Attack of the Show, and they featured it, and then the E! Channel featured it, and then I started getting write-ups, and New Yorker Magazine called it the best video of the year, and uh, then it started to go international, and it was featured in, like, Australian television and Canadian television and in France, and so it was like, wow, I didn't do anything to promote this video at all. I literally put it online, and so that was really exciting and very rewarding. And what I was hoping to do was a trilogy series, and I kind of put that out there. Um, but I didn't really quite have the dough to do it, and um, I didn't have the vision, actually, at that time. I had kind of maybe pieces of what it might look like. So um, so I kind of put that on hold, and then I joined another band uh, with my really good friend, Cherish Alexander, who sang on my song, by the way, Shine On Me. She's the female voice. Uh-huh. And she and I have been friends for years and years. And she was doing finishing up an album, and her guitar player, uh, they moved away. And she said, oh, we're just finishing up this record. Would you like to play on it and be in this band? And I said, absolutely. So we started rocking together and played a ton of shows in Los Angeles. And we did a music video that you can see on my website. From The, the band is called Bella Bizarria. 
And um, that video is a really nice encapsulation of like the last two and a half years of my life with all the gigs we played, all the studio recordings we did, and just the fun I had, just fun rocking out. And I don't sing in that band other than backup. I just play guitar. Yeah. So Blue Stone was the first album you put out. It's the only album I have presently. No kidding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you so you put it down for a while then. I did. Yeah, yeah. I put it on the back burner. And time is From so 13. funny. Thirteen. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> time till, is so funny. You know, yeah. just you yeah. just kind of like do another thing. And yeah. I think truthfully, I think a lot of artists would like you know when you're with a label, you're there's such a a machinery of promotion, put out new material, and then you're kind of moving on already from the record. Well, I didn't have that pressure, so it was like, oh, I could take my time and then do another video in a couple of years from yeah. the same album promoting another single. And it's a very single-oriented world anyway these yeah. days. So um, that felt right to me, felt organic. Huh. Um, well, let's talk about the video for a second. The new one or the first one? Uh, let's talk about the first one, and then okay. we'll, because you have a new one that's actually part two. Yeah, to exactly. The, to the, um, well, it's funny because I feel weird. I like to think of the show as a cutting edge show, and we're talking about a video that came out six years ago. You know, I feel like we should have a conversation about the Star Wars kid or something. Right, right. Like but that. the new, but the new video is is fresh, right? That's a 2014 release. No, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to talk about what started it all, because this. I mean, this is, you know, I've known you for a long time. Yeah. And I remember seeing this video when it first came out. And I was actually, you know, I, I don't, I never knew that side of CDO, you know. Um, can I call you CDO? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I saw it, I was actually kind of blown away by how high the production value is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like you sank a small fortune into this thing. Uh, uh, thank you, Daniel, thank yeah. you, but it's really not. In other words, um, relative to really big budget music videos or mild budget music videos, I'm in the lower scale of all of that. I think because I know how to produce uh, features and television shows, and um, there's a lot of resources here in Hollywood that yeah. a person can make use of. Yeah. Uh, I feel really blessed in that regard that I was able to kind of pull elements. That video, though, the budget was higher, certainly, than the new one. Can I really learned me? a lot. Can, I mean, you can you tell me what the no, budget was? No, I can't was? tell you. Sorry. You can tell no, me. I can. I'll, I'll um, write it down. A million dollars. Honest. A yeah. billion dollars. Oh, <laughs> Round it up to the nearest billion. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... Let's put it this way. I think I could probably do for a million dollars um, twenty of those videos. Okay, so that would be uh, some so somewhere yeah, something yeah, like twenty three. Yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Like that. So um, yeah, I mean, I just I kind of know how to do this. And then the new video is significantly less because I realized that um, you, I, there was a artist um, and a lovely lady that I was uh, seeing uh, named Aon, uh -huh. uh, who's an English singer, and she uh, I've always been a huge fan of her work. And I did a music video for her, uh, and I combined f film elements and HD elements. And I realized that you can do that very well with the cameras that are out there these days, the HD cameras. Yeah. So that really gave me the uh, enthusiasm for, wow, I think it's time. I think I can do light speed now the way I want to. And yeah. shot a lot of it on the Canon 5D, a lot of it on, with my little GoPro camera and yeah. so forth. Yeah. And so I le learned a lot how to do that. Well, it was kind of, you know... In a way, I don't know if the word's disappointing, but I was I, when I when I was doing a little bit of research. Oh, that's a terrible word. No, no, no. Here's why. Here's no. I, it's it it makes sense because I was doing research and I realized that the first video came out in 2009. It yeah. was like an explosion, mm -hmm. and then five years later, the next almost to the day, the other one comes out, and it's like I felt like you you probably could have you know while well, the iron's hot, man, hit another come out with another song or something because. People were interested, you know, yeah. and I think, well, I want to get to something else in a second, but, you know, people were interested and 
you know, I don't know that that's necessarily. You may have cultivated a large, you know, army, but um, you know, when you when when you have some when you have lightning in a bottle, you know, you want to make sure that it doesn't disappear. Well, you know, it's interesting though, Daniel. You could see it from another perspective. You could say there were X amount of people that saw the first video, and let's just say that was 3.7 million people. Um, Conservatively. Conser- well, yeah, <laughs> but you could go, there's a whole heck of a lot more that haven't seen it, yeah. the first one even. And so the idea, and, and there was no Twitter back then that yeah. I'm aware of. There was really uh-huh. no Facebook back then that I'm aware of. And that first upload that I did is actually standard def. It's fuzzy, It's not doesn't even look that good. I reloaded it HD later on. I think that the world has changed a lot, and I, I certainly don't want to jinx it and say the new video is going to trump the this the first one. But I do feel as though um, it's a it's a different environment altogether, and uh, there's a new audience for it. Um, yeah. it. And so my sense is, as an artist, you kind of do what you do, mm. and um, I don't really believe in regrets in that regard. Yeah. It would have been great to have done it right afterwards and just kept that wave going. Yeah. Wasn't able to do that, truthfully. Yeah. And so rather than being remorseful, it was like, okay, l- let's do this one and see where it goes. Yeah. So, you know, just to keep this, this viral thing, I want to keep pushing on this because you're the only viral video star that I know so I don't have anyone to talk to about it so, so did did the um, did that translate into album sales and dollars over I mean, time it did absolutely I will tell you this that the new video is basically 100% fan funded oh yeah really yeah and that's really cool and what's also interesting Daniel is that in 2012 um, late in the year, almost at the beginning of 2013, I was invited down to Fuse to talk about that video, Shine On Me video. No kidding. And I was going like, wow, this is years later. The momentum of art, the life of art can be quite extraordinary. Yeah. And so I think that for any artists that are listening, I, I would encourage them not to worry about the you you got to do it in this time frame and, and then you've got to follow up in this time frame. Um, you certainly don't want to miss windows of opportunity. But conversely, I think that there is always an audience for art and that the the art itself can live quite a long time yeah well the one thing i had that i mean mean, like so many things kind of blew my mind as i was researching this um because you start seeing what everyone's saying you know how do how are people reacting publicly to this video and truthfully i cannot tell you whether people love or hate love this video or pretend to love it or hate this video you know there's a lot of trollers you have a lot of there, trolls out there, there, there for you and i think that you know i i heard this in interviews early on which was never google yourself uh-huh. um and try to insulate your artistic perspective as best as you can uh emotionally try to guard yourself against like kind of the waves of negativity that a person can get yeah so i i don't I mean, I'm very thankful for the supporters. I really am. And yeah. each and every one of you that is listening, you're all coming over to a restaurant. I'm all taking you out to dinner tonight. Um, but <laughs> tonight. The tr- tonight. The, tr- the truth is that you, you just you do what you do, and you put it out there, and you move on. And I think I think that's the most important thing is that you don't get stuck in the, um, first of all, the over the over-enthusiasm that a fan might bestow upon you because it's a very ADD world anyway. You might be the coolest thing for the next two days in their life, but then they're like, there's another cool thing that comes their way. You know what I mean? The attention span of of people is um, different than it used to be, certainly when I was a kid. Uh, And now it's, it is what it is. You put out the art and, and then if you can follow up with it, great. If you feel like doing something else, do it. 
uh, I think being vital as an artist is key. But you're right, there's some negativity that certainly came my way, and that was abrasive. And it's like, ah, you know what, that doesn't feel great. I'm going to do whatever I can to insulate myself from that because yeah. it doesn't, in the end, th- these people don't know me. Yeah. Uh, it's the art is the art. It speaks for itself. You either dig it or you don't. Yeah. You don't watch it. Don't buy it. Move on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's one of these things where, you know, look, I'm not famous. You know, I don't even know if anyone listens to this. Show, I love your show. That <laughs> one that you did <laughs> with you. James D., I'm telling you, I think that deserves an, a, a podcast award. That, and you've got to give me th- two or three more hours of that interview. It was so good. <laughs> no, he's, um, yeah, he's he's a great guy. I've, I've talked to him about that. I'm trying not to repeat any anyone for a while. Because yeah, but you got you, you have to give us more no, hours No, he's good. That. Yeah, and he, you know, he'd like that too. It's he's, really good. Yeah, he's, he, That's he, such a fascinating era, and the conversation you guys had was just, it was riveting. Well, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate that, man. You know, the funny thing about the internet trolls is that when I look at it, I think to myself, man, like you have a, you have a fake Twitter account. There's some guy who's like trolling you via Twitter. Oh, and a fake Facebook person too. Oh, probably. A couple yeah. of those. Yeah. Right. Well, here's what's great about that. You know, you can easily twist it to, um, hey, these guys are making fun of me or they don't like me. I would find it flattering. I would love if there was like, you know, uh, ridiculous nouns, the fake podcast. You know what I mean? Like or <laughs> right, the parody version. Yeah, of it. I would right. love it uh-huh. that someone I mean, there's a parody video, like a, a almost like, like a shot for shot, you know, handheld remake of your Shine on Me video. There's actually a couple of them that yeah. I got sent. Yeah. And I think that's just aspiring filmmakers who are who are going like, Oh, we wanna try to do this or we wanna <laughs> capture that wave. Um, it's it is funny. It's flattering in its own way, right? Yeah. Uh, and I I encourage it. Just you know, especially for people who want to shoot things. Um, the, the the technology that's out there these days, the ability to create interesting art with um, a very affordable cameras out there. So uh, I would have flipped out if I had grown up in this era. Yeah. Uh, because I was always shooting stuff really primitively and trying to emulate you know the new Steven Spielberg movie or whatever. Right. But um, yeah. So it's it's. Cool, Daniel. I I, um, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I would too, man. I'd love to have a fake Twitter account. Probably would tweet, tweet more than I <laughs> do gonna, on my Twitter account. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now I know it's you. Um, what was it like to be written up in you know some of the mag? I assume you were a Rolling Stone fan. Uh, oh, that was a like li- how crazy is that? I was a dr- dream come true for me, Daniel. Because since I was 13, you know, you have the you get starry eyed about certain things. Um, going to the Grammys, maybe being written up in certain magazines, um, having people see your work. In a did you get nominated way. for a Grammy? No, I did not. You but I've been not. to the Grammy uh, oh. Grammys a couple times. Um, and but we were um, we were in the running with Shine on Me, actually. Uh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, you were, were you nominated or in the in the running in, to be in nominated? The, in the category of to be nominated, because you know, <laughs> really? that's an official category where they the let's just say the seventy five videos that year that qualified for it. Um, then those get circulated to the, um, I guess it's the nearest group, and then they determine whether or not it will be nominated. So it wasn't nominated, but it was in the running for a nomination. Anyway, uh-huh. and that was really cool. Um, but yeah, like Ro- Rolling Stone was really awesome and, and, a, and kind of a magical thing to have happened. Again, with zero dollars spent to promote the video, just put it up online and see what happens. Yeah, how great is that? I mean, and it's really cool, You don't right? do anything and it just, look, I mean, whether people loved it or hated it, you struck a chord with right. enough people that you, I mean, you had millions of views, you know? I mean, that's insane. It's funny because you can't, I find that I mean, I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan and a huge Beatles fan, but yeah. there are people out there that 
despise both of these groups. And I'm like, how is that possible? Yeah. How can you not love these two groups? Right. So it's it shows you everybody's got an opinion, yeah. right? And so um, I fall into that same category. Yeah. You know, I love David Bowie. Some people cannot stand David Bowie. It's like, wow, okay, so you're in good company if right. people don't like you, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. I mean, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, most of the guy can't stand David Bowie. I don't like The Cure. Um, I, it's just that style of music. Like, I wouldn't hate David Bowie as an individual. I don't mm-hmm. know the man, you know, but I'm not a fan of the music. Got it, right? You know? So, okay, you're you, not that you just sit there and, and troll on him. Nah, but it doesn't you, make any it's sense. Just, it's just, an, you're not into it, right? No, but it's like, you know, when, what, here's my feeling on this, you know, and I, I'm not trying to ignite any trolls, although it'd be great to get multiple reposts <laughs> of this, you know, but if someone, I have things to do, you know, I'm taking my personal time to put together a podcast, whether people listen to it or not. I've got too much to do. Right. You look at these people who have, n- I mean, the, the amount, the sheer effort to, to make a mock video. It's like, wow, man, you dedicated days of your life to making fun of me. Like, that's awesome. You know, like I would feel if I went to like a Rodney Dangerfield or a, a Don Rickles concert and he took time out to make fun of me to do what he does, like right. that would be an honor, sir. <laughs> I get it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, thank you for, for taking, you didn't ignore me. Like you right. paid attention. You put the spotlight on me, on you know, unbeknownst. And a lot of these guys, they don't have anything to do. Like how easy is it to be a blogger? You sit in your house in your underwear, write about whatever you want. You know, like I don't, you know. It's always in your underwear too, isn't it's it? It's always in your underwear. Look, underwear, right? I, there's people who have confided to me that if they could be in their underwear at all times. It would be. <laughs> they could come to work in their underwear. Right. They would. I'm in my underwear now. Of it, we are both right. in That's our so underwear. That's so cool about us that we both agreed to come to the <laughs> yeah, you know, underwear. Yeah. Well, we didn't even talk about it beforehand. Right. It it's was just for those kind of guys. Just happened. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't want to go off on this whole thing because I've been known to do that. But it's just, I, I totally would flip it. So if anyone out there, this is my calling to anyone <laughs> listening. If you want to troll me, I will find it a complete honor. And I will mention you in the podcast, if not interview you. That's great. Why are you uh, trolling me? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Top 10 trolls of 2014. <laughs> yeah. um, well, now let's talk about thematically. Let's talk about yeah. you. Because there's, there's a lot of dimensions to this video, mm. you know. So it is... You know, it is a three-part video, and and this the new one that just came out, uh, Lightspeed, Yum. is part two. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, here's what's I believe that that you have a, a narrative vision for these things, but I will be perfectly honest with you, sir. I did not get it. They felt very disjointed. I could not see a story. Well, I actually, Give it to me. I kind of like that, though, Daniel, I have to say. Do you? I do. I absolutely do. Because what the reason why they're structured in the way they are is that there's an opportunity for the viewer, if they're so engaged, in other words, if they're not, no worries, just move on. But yeah. if they're so engaged to um, put together your own lineage, put together your own aspect of storytelling, uh, so that you're participating in it. That's actually important to me. The, the, they're shot, they're cut in such a way that they don't overly explain things. I tend to get a little bit bored, and I love movie trailers. And one of the reasons why I love movie trailers is because they imply scenes. They imply larger story arc. They imply, look at that action scene, wonder what's going on there. So I'm engaged emotionally in what that might look like. And the truth is, a lot of times the actual story, the actual payoff in the feature film is not nearly as good as how I was kind of vibrating with what was possible in the storytelling. So it's done in this exact style for a reason. I want you to try in any way you can, if you're so engaged, of course, to put your own storytelling in it. I mean, there's enough for you to go, oh, there's, there's this 
guy and there's this girl and they're in love and then there's these villainous characters and there seems to be this spiritual energy that seems to carry through the two videos. Um, there's actually a spiritual dynamic. There's a science of soul in that fantasy world, uh, and there's a device that you see in there that that liberates the soul, kind of an out-of-body experience that they both have. Um, but you know, this is up to to you as the viewer if you want to engage in it. And again, if not, don't sweat it. Well, you know, I, I that's what an artist would say, and I and I I'm I'm with you on that. So if this if this video is up in LACMA, I would say you're right on board. When you're dealing with people, regular people, the people you love, your people, right. the regular Joes. And trying to communicate with my, like, what are we yeah, shooting today exactly. and what's next? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, like, oh. when you put it up. Yeah. I, I mean, like, it has to, to me, in in way I've been taught, it has to be simple. Mm. For example, um, trailers, all trailers tell the same story. If it's a comedy, they tell you the same story. If it's a, love, it's a romantic comedy, every trailer's the same. You can put them up overlap them the cuts are in the same spot the same punch joke at the end i mean the trailer for you know the newest comedy movie has the same structure that the last comedy movie had and so on and so forth you know if you put the lego trailer up against i'm gonna date this podcast already the lego trailer up against a ride-along trailer you know their cuts are in the same spot they're just you know one's animated one's not right you know so i think that was like the only thing i had a problem with is i didn't understand the story and then i watched the new music video and I didn't understand anything on mm. that one. However, I will tell you that Lightspeed is really freaking catchy. I've woken up with it in my head oh, good. like three days good. in a row. So, <laughs> my <laughs> so, subliminals are working on you. Yeah, that. no, it works. Right. It's really, really catchy. It's a great song. Um, and yeah, but I, but that's only, that would be my only beef with you, sir. But I'm is, okay with that, Daniel. I am. In other words, if that's good. your big complaint is like, hey, Chris, I'm not quite getting what the heck you're saying here. Yeah. That's okay because I know that you're getting on some level – something is being communicated with you. You're seeing romance. Yeah. Let's just put it in more simple terms. You're seeing struggle. Yeah. You're seeing obstacles overcome. You're seeing villains. Uh, you're seeing heroic action. Uh, you're seeing quite a few things that that are kind of undeniable that I know you're seeing. Yeah. So, um, and, and I'm, again, okay with you not going like, hey, I don't really know where the beginning, middle, and end of this is. Um, I like the question mark that it might be putting in your mind. Uh. I actually do as an artist that that's satisfying for me rather than I mean I'm perfectly capable of doing a very understandable um, music video that is so logical that might even be hard to watch three times in a row are you Chris are you capable I am you You know what I mean just like oh here it is and there you go and this is here's meet the girl and meet the guy and meet the thing that happens and so intentionally not doing that uh, is um, makes me happy okay yeah no that's a good I mean that's an artist answer you know um, but it's the truth. It's the truth in terms of the philosophy behind it is imply larger storytelling, larger events that are happening that you get a little glimpse into, and hopefully that those engage in, in your imagination in a particular way. So the fantasy, the fantasy genre is probably the most expensive to produce. Well said. Why did you pick that one? <laughs> I know. It's like, couldn't I have done something that didn't have such high standards and stakes? I yes, agree with you, Daniel. Yes, That's the hardest in, part about it. Set it in L.A. I know, know, I know. Just do a modern world thing without all these costumes, without yeah. all this action, without all these fantasy elements and backgrounds and landscapes and aerials and all that. I think I was up for the challenge. I think that was part of it. And for me, I love fantasy films so much that to do something um, that 
didn't have those elements, it didn't challenge me artistically, wasn't as exciting. I think I was up for the challenge. And also, you can say things differently through fantasy yeah. uh, than you can through, through reality. Again, we have an element of villain, villainy and an element of spiritual storytelling and uh, quality of romance uh, that I think is heightens the drama, if you will, by putting it in to a different, an otherworldly setting. That, that's my sense of it. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think you would have gotten the number of views had it been set in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I agree. And and so it spoke to me artistically what I wanted to see and how I felt like I fit into that universe, too. Yeah. That was really important as an artist. Who, who am I in this equation? Because as you've noticed, there's quite a lot of characters that yeah. I've surrounded myself with. I'm just a part of a larger equation. Right. And I like that. It didn't need to be the, the Christine Owen show. It was just right. more like, yeah, I'm, I'm part of it, but I'm not the hub of it necessarily. It's actually a female hub. It's the trilogy series is called Aura of the Third Kingdom, and it really centers around a woman who is being basically secret, secretly trained by the angelic realm to uh, increase her knowledge of spirit and increase her magical skills, her defensive magical skills, um, in kind of a Harry Potter-esque way. And so, she and I'm kind of more her protector than anything. Yeah. So you do you have the story written down? Yeah. Because I mean, there was we, talk of it being a comic book, manga. Yeah. You're into we, all this stuff. One of the things that happened early on was uh, when Bob Short and I uh, worked on the first one, we were approached by a publishing company, uh, excuse me, a, a, um, an, a publishing agent, and said, hey, have you ever thought of a book trilogy series? And I said, no, but I always thought this could be a good manga or anime project, too. And he said, well, look, we'll put you with an author. So we worked with a wonderful author. Oh, Jerry named, Biederman. Screw Jerry Biederman. What well, we love him? Jerry, but Jerry's not a fiction guy. He's a oh, nonfiction, oh, nonfiction guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. You're safe, Jerry. Uh, yeah, Jerry's safe. Yeah. Uh, so a guy named Eldon Thompson, who had a successful book trilogy series. And so we struck a deal with Eldon and worked on a book proposal. Um, and that was really fun because we got to flesh out. In other words, Daniel, in your question, is there a story? There's actually a massive story yeah. uh, that we have, you know, 35-page outline of what exactly you're seeing and where this will go as a trilogy series. And truthfully, where it could go as a feature film, should that ever happen. Uh, and I, it, I don't need it to, although that would be fun to work on, certainly, and very rewarding. But so, yeah, there's a major weighty piece um, that Bob Eldon and I put together. And uh, and shopped, and we shopped it at a time when the book industry was, you know, bookstores were going completely out of business, um, certainly here in Los Angeles, I'm sure nationally, and uh, it didn't sell at that time. So we're hoping, you know, if that can get resurrected with this new video, that would be great. For me, as an artist, I just love working on things, so it was really fun to work with Bob and Eldon on the fleshing out of the story and all the different elements and, and nuances and so forth. Um, and again, if it sells, great, and if it's not, not, it was just a really fun thing to do with a bunch of cool, creative guys. Wow, I would really want to see that in decompletion, you know, mm. because you get a sense for it in the in the video. But like I said, I didn't get the story, and that's just one dude. Right, I would exactly. like to see, you know, if you have this whole thing out, I'm surprised you know, given the, you know, the market. I mean, if you had every person who saw the video, if you got a dollar from them, you'd have, you know, $4 million budget to make whatever, be it a book or graphic novel or movie or, you know, TV show, whatever. Well, it's funny because I Kickstarter, was... A, Kickstarter? Kickstarter. Well, you know, some people have said that. Why don't you do a Kickstarter feature film thing? And I think we actually could make this movie for... Um, probably somewhere between three and six million dollars, which in, in the world for a fantasy film is like crumbs. Uh, but, but because I would surround myself with people that I've worked with before and 
Um, I have a wonderful visual effects artist uh, named Gav Babidian who did the visual effects on on this video and the first. And um, I just he's one of those guys that's like, please give me money to work with that guy uh, to make a movie because his skill set is so very high and he can do such high end visual effects um, that just look like million dollar uh, shots, just just the shot alone, let alone for an entire feature film. So um, yeah, that would be really cool. You know, you never know where things are going to lead. And I was approached early on by a pretty significant Hollywood agent uh, for feature film. Like, hey, you're getting all these views and you're getting all this traffic. Have you ever thought about a, a movie? And so obviously now we would have a Bible for that, where the trilogy could go and where the first screenplay could easily be fleshed out and so forth. So we'll see. What about a prologue? You had talked about a prologue to kind of... So I guess it's the same conversation then, huh? Yeah, it I mean, is. It's, yeah. It's just all, all, you know, there could be a third video to complete the series and then one to uh, to be, to begin it. Like, yeah. um, that tells my, perhaps my story before Ari even comes into it. Because I was affiliated with, there's, you see witches in the storytelling. Yeah. I was affiliated with them first, and yeah. I had a change of heart. Yeah. So my story was far darker uh, in the very beginning than it is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what's interesting, man, and I'm not saying this in any kind of disparaging way. Mm. I was watching... I think fantasy is very appropriate genre for you, mm. and here's why. I was watching The Hobbit, yeah, and the Elf King. You bear a striking resemblance to the Elf King, <laughs> and in looks, not in demeanor. He's a very evil guy. He's kind of a meanie in this new he, one, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Not yeah. spoiler alert, um, <laughs> but you kind of look like him a little bit. You look a little bit like an elf in a good way, like Legolas. Legolas, you know, it's funny. Everyone Daniel, loves him. I, part of the reason why I think I even got into this is that, I, I, not an exaggeration, my almost my whole life either walking down the street, hey, are you Dread Pirate Roberts? Hey, man, I look as Dread Pirate Roberts. Or when the first Lord of the Rings thing came out, I was on a ship, and all the, all the entire <laughs> oh, Indian boy. crew that was on there, it's like, look, it's Legolas. Look, Legolas is here. Like, hey, guys, how you doing? Yeah. So it's... Um, I just struck a chord, didn't I? Yeah, you did. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing with me. Um, and so I think it was like, hey, I guess I could do one of those kind of characters. And so yeah. that's kind of what you're seeing, isn't it, yeah. in these videos? Yeah, you, you have a, you're an archer in this in this new one. Right, yeah. I'm shooting my arrows and yeah. causing trouble and sword fights and <laughs> you're the doing whole, the whole thing. thing. Hey, so how come... Oh, so the tricornered hat. you got to explain this tricornered hat it feels like a melding of worlds yes I, that's really important to me is that you don't have the sense of it being of a particular time it's kind of a, an amalgam of times zones yeah. and really people it's didn't a, like it's, that it's its own <laughs> it's its own world right yeah, yeah. it's its own place so the tricorner hat might put our historical perspective in you know th- what th- anywhere from 250 to 400 years ago because yeah. i think the hat was popular for several hundred years um and then my guy is wearing my character is wearing armor um and then you see the some of the female characters, even in the first one, they're almost wearing Matrix outfits when they're dodging a uh, mm. blade. Yeah, that appealed to me, Daniel, because it was um, my own world. I, I could do what I wanted with it. Yeah, and costuming-wise, that was really important to me too. I think the first video has 32 costumes, and the new one has what 16, 17 different costumes. So wow, that giving it a different look, you get such power um, in my to my thinking out of the, the different looks visually uh, with the fashion elements. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing that people definitely noticed, mm-hmm. you know, and I saw it, and it didn't really bother me that much because it felt like kind of like a pirate's medieval. Yeah, and like, like there's overlap. a ship theme, especially in the yeah. first one. We're, we're sailors, and we... Um, the, the nautical part of it was really important to me, and, and I was actually a little bit disappointed that I didn't get more of a nautical theme in this new one. And I'll probably go back to the ocean for the third if we wind up doing it, uh, because I, I love that. That really speaks to me. 
Yeah. Well, in both songs, uh, this is one thing that I noticed almost completely off topic. It's very Tears for Fear sounding. Mm. You sound like the lead singer of Tears for yeah, Fears. Yeah, because they're, they're kind of baritones and they shift into falsetto and, and so forth. And I, I love that band. That, that's a To me, that's a nice, uh, and I appreciate that comment. Um, th- that band had a big influence on me. I, I love The Cure. I love a lot of the 80s and 90s groups. And, and I love the, the new stuff these days. I mean, I'm a big My Chemical Romance fan, although I know they just broke up. Yeah. I just met Gerard Way, by the way. Yeah, that was really fun. Super nice guy. I got to spend time watching him doing artwork for the new um, Greatest Hits cover. And I'm a big Angels and Airwaves fan uh, with Tom DeLonge. And yeah. so I love you know the cool new stuff, and I love the old stuff. And I'm a huge Beatles fan, so... Well, I feel lucky that my tastes are broad and I have a lot of different influences. And yeah. I could easily come out with, I mean, there's songs on the record that are super techno rock. And that's actually what I, I thought I was going to do initially was just a techno rock album that didn't even have a lot of singing, more like chanting and stacked vocals. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like if really? you listen to my song Wicked, it's just me singing in three octaves, just, uh, uh, you know, like yeah. like almost a Gregorian chant. And then that was uh, a popular album to chant. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, but then I thought, no, nah, I miss pop songs. I miss melody and lyric and so forth. So yeah. anyway, my, my tastes are broad, and I could, I, I'd like to go in different directions if I start recording again uh, as a solo yeah. artist. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people who who don't make it in the States, and, say, and then they say, like, oh, I'm really big in Germany. I'm big yeah. in Japan. And that's not necessarily true. Well, in your case, yeah. I think it is. I had a small record deal in Japan. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, with, with Sony Records um, a number of years ago. Uh, I was very frustrated with the music scene in Los Angeles, and I was actually in a duet at that time. Um, and we we went to Japan, and um, they were interested in me, and they kind of extracted me from the duet and said, "Hey, we want you to sing on this record," and and uh, which was okay with my my musical partner at the time um, because she wound up singing on the record as well. And so uh, did that, and that sold pretty good, actually. And that was really a thrill, Daniel, because I was so frustrated with the music scene in Los Angeles that it was rewarding to um, you know, be flown to Japan, record in the studio there. I've been to Tokyo what, seven times, and there's an audience there for my work, which is really cool. So yeah, there's, um, there's a nice international element to what I'm doing as well. And in France, also, the Shine On Me was featured on French television, and they did a whole behind-the-scenes piece. And so that's really cool. You, you, there's a, uh, Australia as well, uh, the guys at uh, that band OK Go um, were really big fans of the Shine On Me video, and those guys are awesome video makers. And yeah, they so are. they said, hey, we'll, they were guest VJing on Rage, which I guess is very popular in Australia. And they said, look, we'll be on, but we want you to play the Chris Jane Owens video. And so they contacted me and got the rights and the material to broadcast that. And, and so I've got a, an Australian base as well now. That's so that crazy. was really cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I I'm, I'm really am appreciative of, the, of those guys, the OK Go guys, because that's really, you know, when other artists kind of rally behind your stuff, that's pretty, pretty hip. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I'd love to garner an, an international audience, but yeah. I would think that with a talk show, you're only going to have people who speak or understand English. So Australia makes sense. Mm. Tokyo doesn't make sense. Well, a lot of people speak English in Japan, absolutely. They, yeah. In fact, it's really cute when you go there. A lot of the kids will walk up to you and say, excuse me, do, can we please speak with you? Because <laughs> they really want to use their English. Ah. Yeah, so they want to just chat. Yeah. And, um, and so you'd be surprised how many people are uh, quite bilingual in Japan. 
Yeah, it would be. Uh, in France, that makes I mean that makes sense. A lot mm. of people in Europe speak uh, English. How's the new video doing? It's only been up for I think a days or yeah, something. Yeah, I think like. it's doing good. It's getting reposted, which means a lot of times it's the YouTube hits winds up changing because people can rip the video and they do that and they put yeah. it on their own sites and so forth. Yeah. So I mean, pretty good. It's like a, maybe like a thousand uh, views a day, and which is great. I mean, the Shine on Me video was getting about ten thousand views a month for years and probably is somewhere in the 7,000 views a month right now, uh, just on YouTube. Uh, and so the new video, like we're only in the first, what, six, well, like eight days of out there. It's like a week. It's probably like 8,000 views maybe by the end of today. So anyway, I don't get obsessed with those things, Daniel. I don't know. <laughs> Clearly. Right? <laughs> you just crunch numbers like right. it's Rain Man. <laughs> but I mean, only because it's just out. Like after yeah. a while, I'll, I won't even look again. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, whatever. But when it comes out, you're a little more like, oh, what's going on with it? That was so funny. Sorry. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Obsessed with it. I I'm don't even care. 10, it's 8,422. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, no, no. Yeah. 24. 25. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Where's my real-time ticker? <laughs> yeah. um, no, but honestly, th that's more accurate to where I'll be at. Like, oh, no, it is what it is. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's it's nice to see it, you know, get as much airplay as the other one. Are they connected? Can you get to one to the other? Are people... Well, yes, because I have a channel. And what I'm going to do shortly is I'm going to edit the two videos together so that if you want to just watch them back-to-back... Yeah. Uh, and I might even do something in the middle of them that's additional footage that you can't get by watching them separately. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, look, there's that little added element. Um, so that way you can watch them both HD, um, and that'll be, what, 10 minutes of entertainment or nine yeah. and a half minutes of entertainment. Um, better on acid, I assume. Uh, always. You know, isn't everything? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> isn't life? No. Ask James D. Yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, he... Wow, that's um, that's incredible. Uh, all right, Chris. Well, we are quickly running out of time. Oh, so so good um, to be here. Let me promote here, anything. Thank you. What can I promote for you? Let's, well, sure. Let's do, let's you know, my folks records. can just go to my website, which is just chrisdaneowens.com, uh, and you can see the video. And if you're interested in buying the single Lightspeed, you can do that through iTunes and Amazon and so forth, and, and quite a few other outlets. Um, and that's it. Well, there's Bella Bazaria has a Yes, website. absolutely. Bella Bazaria. We, we have a new single out and a new album that came out in 2013 called The Way I Am. And you can go to my website as well, and it'll link to that uh, and see the new video that I directed for that group as well, um, which is kind of, again, a docu-style video of just the last two and a half years, three years of my life of yeah. rocking with that band. And, um, and that's on iTunes also. And if you're, you know, the, the, you're a new inductee into the CDO army, I have, I'm going to put all these things. I'm not going to rip them, Chris. I'm going to put them directly. You will get the YouTube hits. You're a good, that's what we love about thank, you, Dan. Thank you very much. So I'm going to put those on the website that you can check out. Um, you also have Twitter that you yeah, rarely I just post got, on. I know, I just got on Twitter. And <laughs> yeah. I'm just so not engaged in this. And I need to be better, don't I? So, yeah, I, uh, I just re- up to my, I forgot my password, so now I know my password, and I can log in and I can say stuff. Yeah. Hopefully, it's slightly interesting. I probably won't say a lot, but I'll say a little bit. Yeah, and so let's give you the correct ones. I don't want this troll getting any yeah, more followers. Yeah, um, it's CDO seven, just CDO seven. Zero seven, right? No, that's the zero is the O. The oh, CDO I'm very seven. confused. Letters yeah. and numbers confuse me. Yeah. Okay. CDO seven and Facebook. You have um, which one is your official page? Uh, my official one is all caps. Chris Dane Owens. Chris Dane Owens mm -hmm. um, on Facebook. I feel like you don't even know your websites as well as I do. I, I have like a whole list here. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, wait, but don't forget to promote this. <laughs> right. Don't forget to promote that. Right, that's right. So I have a Facebook, I have a Twitter dealio, and yeah. I've got the website. And you've got pretty cool merchandise. I saw yeah, I do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that, that was really helpful in funding the new video as well. Oh, T people the pull t -shirts. from it. Yeah, I got a really cool... Um, 
photograph of like seven seven fans from Australia all wearing the CDO shirt. And that, that was so <laughs> oh, neat. That's great. Yeah, it was awesome. And I'm so appreciative to everybody. Thank you all. Yeah, that's great. Um, all right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for being here and taking time out. Um, it's, been, it's been educational, to, <laughs> <laughs> to quote Marty McFly. Um, and thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night. <laughs>